Hello, K2H. So music is something that, you know, is so interpretive and there's so many styles and genres. And here at K2H, you know, you hear a lot of DJs and their voices and their choice of music. And it's a real privilege to have a, an artist coming in to share their thoughts on their music journey and what that means to them. And this specifically, in highlight to the upcoming Chinese New Year's holidays, I would like to celebrate uh, the Chinese instrument of the arhu as um, being introduced and being played and uh, being creative with it uh, with our, our guest today. So I'm going to introduce Sung Hui. Sung Hui is the winner of the Nahoku Hana, sorry, Hano Hano Award from 2018. She was born in Taiwan, studied Arhu from the age of seven and won numerous major awards, including the prestigious Outstanding Artist Awards at the Taiwan National Arhu Competition. After earning a PhD in ethnomusicology from the Ohio State University, she continues to collaborate with a variety of contemporary composers and musicians from the world, Western classical, Chinese, and other musical backgrounds. So as, you, as, as I just set the stage, you know, we're gonna be talking about uh, multicultural ways of treating a very traditional Chinese instrument and very, very happy and privileged to have musician artist Sun Hui here with us today. Welcome to our program. I'm Chong Hui. Nice to see everybody. I will hear everybody uh, and happy new year. Yes, almost. So we have, it's Chinese New Year's is February 1st, which is right around the corner. And so we yes. want to, yeah, let, let's start talking about this. Um, but before we get to the, the Chinese culture and, and what that means to a lot of people, let's talk about you. So you were born in Taiwan. Um, yes. Where? And tell me about your childhood just a little bit. So I was born in Taiwan. Uh, and then I started learning music when I was four years old. And I started the erhu, the Chinese instruments that I'm going to play. Uh, uh, when I was eight years old. And then, so I was there for the whole time. And, and then when, after I finished my college, I decided I want to go to a different place to do my master and PhD degrees. And so I, I decided to come to United States. And yeah, and so I- You came over at what age? How old were you when you moved? Yeah, so after I finished my college, so that should be around 22, oh, Okay, so quite late, yeah. Yeah. Were you, were you exposed to um, Western music? Were you influenced by Western music when you were growing up playing your instrument? No, but yeah, of course. So I, I started piano when I was four. Okay. So I was playing uh, Western music the whole time. And you not know, in Taiwan and in Asia, uh, especially in Taiwan, I want to say in Taiwan because Taiwan uh, was uh, uh, occupied by Japan for 50 years and everybody knows Japan is very avant-garde in Asia. So Taiwan also had the influence from Japan that is very westernized. So all the music, you know, all the music students, if you are good music students, you study Western tradition music and play piano 
But when I was eight years old, I was uh, introduced to to go to a music class, and at that class, I uh, well, okay, so I was late for that class, <laughs> and then and then so I went to that class, and then I was late. So I asked the the the, the teacher. So, uh, what instruments can I play here? And she told me, um, you know, the erhu, that instrument, nobody want to play. Why don't you play that one? <laughs> That's interesting. So, that. Right. So I started playing erhu since then because no one want to play. And the reason why no one want to play is because that is an instrument, you know, in all time that people believe it is a more more male instruments more mm-hmm. for the boys and especially for the old guys <laughs> um, and usually the old guys play in front of the temple yeah and usually yeah. when you hear that kind of music you hear when people has funeral uh, right, <laughs> so, right. so that's an instrument that people think it's not a uh, uh, female instruments and it's not graceful you know and, and so no one wants to play the instruments so my teacher said yeah you are late and no one wants to play that one so why don't you play that one so and it's almost are- a form of punishment that you <laughs> got landed the arhu I, I yeah back to that time that's what I thought but right now I I, I really feel so so happy that yeah. I'm learning these instruments because these instruments um it's it's like a, a human voice yes. it's like a singing and so I I don't have a good voice so I'm so glad that I have this instrument to sing for me. And a lot of people say this instrument is not like pipa or guzheng. You know, a lot of Chinese instruments has a a very rich history. This one doesn't have. So a lot no. Really? (laughs) Yeah. A lot of people ask me, uh, you know, I'm an ethnomusicologist. So some people will ask me, so what, how old is this instrument? And I want to say this instrument is really, really young. And it's probably only has about 900 years. If you think 900 years is a long time, that means you are American. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's interesting but, and trivial. Right. Yeah, but... That's but young for Chinese think, culture, for sure. Yes. Sure. Yeah, but for Chinese culture, yeah. 900 years yeah. is really, 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 really young. So this instrument doesn't really have long history like a lot of other instruments. And... Uh, even worse. This is really fascinating. Wait, let me back up a little bit. Um, so, well, maybe we have to explain to our listeners who don't know what the arhu is, what it is. How many strings? How does it compare to something they're familiar with, like like the violin or, you know, because it's such a unique one. And I wanted to also mention the fact that you say it's like a human voice. For me, my interpretation of the arhu uh, in Hong Kong growing up when I was there is, you know, I, I understood the instrument to be um, a sound that if you don't play it well, sounds like you're killing a chicken. Oh yeah, is yeah. that right? Is that, that that's <laughs> right? that's what my mom said. She she says she you know in in uh, Chinese there's a saying say uh, the kids learning instruments um, always uh, will become a good kid, you know. And yeah. and my mom say uh, but the 
the kids learning Erhu, their their neighbors, all the kids in the neighborhood will be bad kids because <laughs> <laughs> because they all learn they all hear this kind of bad music the whole time <laughs> because it's um it's a lot of discord if you don't play it right. Well, yeah, right? yeah. It's it's very difficult. So yeah, so um, the 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 二胡, the two words that this 二胡, two characters in Chinese, 二 means two, so that indicate 二, uh, 二胡 has two strings. Yeah, and then 胡, um, if you know Chinese, then you start thinking. So what is 胡? So 胡 in Chinese it actually means barbarian. Mm. Yeah, so you think about this, why the Chinese people name this instrument two-string instrument, uh, two-string play by barbarian. <laughs> so, oh. so, yeah, so this instrument uh, probably, and a lot of ethnomusicologists confirm, this instrument is probably not originate in China. These instruments came from outside. And you know, back to the time, 900 years ago, China think they are the best. So everything from outside is barbarian. Flames, right? Right. So these instruments came from outside and then play by the barbarian and then play in the folk tradition. It never play uh, for the court. I, I mean, right. later, later, yes. But in the beginning, it was not for the court instruments. Or sometimes we call that elegant music right right uh, more yeah of a poor man's instrument <laughs> right yeah so so for the long history this instrument was never being paying attention and um, there's no notation for this instrument as well huh. the instruments always play the folk music or sometimes they just play other instruments as music so um, you know, without the written, uh, written tradition, written tradition is very important for Chinese culture and as well as many other culture. Written is a, a power of authority. When when something can can be written down, that means that's important. Right, archived. Yes. Right, but but for Chinese, uh, for for Erhu, there was no written, uh, or very little written. Um, uh, document for okay. this instrument, yeah, wow. and and but so how come this instruments become so popular now? Mm. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Huh? Is is so, it when you say popular, do you mean that um it is a common instrument that you might hear in uh, Chinese music and Chinese orchestra? Is that what yeah. you mean by popular? Yeah. So nowadays, erhu become much much more popular and way more popular than say a hundred years ago. So uh, that's a little bit history. So about a hundred years ago, in the early early 1900, China started to westernize. Right. Because they realized they cannot just do their Chinese stuff. So they start westernized and then they look at Western culture, which instrument is the most important in the orchestra. Hmm. It is violin. Mm -hmm. It is violin and it's a string, four string instrument. Right. So Chinese started to use erhu and try to that erhu imitate the rule, the, the role of the violin in the Western culture. 
But, you know, I find that difficult to, I mean, obviously it's a string instrument, but because you say it's a two string instrument, and let me just back up by saying that I tried to learn for a while when I was in Hong Kong, because I love the sound of the Arhu, um, but um, to imitate the violin, because the violin is so intricate in the way the strings are um, created for the sounds of that. How do, do you feel like there's a, okay, well, this is kind of a complicated, um, maybe more of an in-depth breaking down of the Arhu sounds and in, his, in, his, in, in the relationship with Western music. Why don't we take a quick break and we come back and let's unpack um, the Arhu in relation to this Westernization of China and what this conversation means. You know, why, why are we even talking about Arhu music in context to the West and why that's important? So let's come back to that, okay? Uh, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking to Sun Hui about the language of the Arhu and we'll go into her work as a musician. So don't go away. Welcome back. I'm talking to Senhui about the Arhu. And by the way, before I forget, Senhui, we have to promote your upcoming concert at Blue Note. Can we just talk about that quickly first? Yes. So I'm going to have a concert at Blue Note on February 1st. That's Tuesday. And it is the Chinese New Year Day. Yes. So uh, I'm going to perform with four other musicians, including Pierre Griot. He is a wonderful um, piano and accordion player. He is mm. French and he played really good uh, accordion. So I'm going to play with him. And then Bobby Ingano, many of you probably know he's a steel guitar player, has three Grammy Awards. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad to play with him. And then uh, Wei Kember, my really good friend, he is helping us uh, and serve as a music director. He's playing uh, bass. He is also the singer and the founding member of Hawaiian Style Band. And then my good friend, Lee Dun Clark, she is not, she says she is not a professional musician uh, because she is actually an OBGYN, a doctor. Oh, but wonderful. Her, her play, her playing piano is just wonderful. Uh, this, you know, it's very typical uh, in many Taiwanese uh, families, you know, they, they want their children to learn piano yes. when, they were, when, when they were kids. But yes. then once yes. they go to the high school, the, the, the mom will say, no, you study hard. You don't be a musician because <laughs> yes. music doesn't give you money. So you have to be a lawyer or a doctor. That's so true. And, yeah. yeah. And so, so she plays a beautiful uh, piano, but then she is a doctor. And so uh, one day she told me she, she, she really wants to perform. She wants to be a musician as well. So I said, okay, you perform with me this time. <laughs> that's brilliant. And that's great. And thank you for sharing that because that says so much about Chinese culture. Um, you know, that, that you know, we, we joke and we stereotype these tiger moms and these mm -hmm. helicopter mom parents for trying to breed children who will be classically trained, but then going towards very, um, you know, solid core types of careers and, and belittling the arts, like not giving that much time for the arts. And um, it's unfortunate because there's so many, so many people who are talented and passionate about the arts who don't get the chance to pursue that because of the pressures of parents. And it's still happening today, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, it is still happening. And, it, and I just watch her and then she she's so good. I wish she is a, a, a pianist. But she told me no. She she has to 
follow her mom's dream, you know? Yeah. Uh, and that happens to a lot of people. And so then you can see, you know, I am not a good kid in my family because I didn't listen to my parents. I insist I want to do music. <laughs> okay, wait. I know we were supposed to follow up on the last break before the, uh, we broke about the westernization of, uh, of the Arhu, but this is really important thing. So uh, going back to your uh, upbringing as a child and being influenced um, you know, having that traditional Chinese parenting um, and deemed the rebellious child for not following uh, a more professional career, if you will. Um, how did you how did you deal with the pressures or how did they come to understand that this was your dream and how did they allow you to follow these this this passion? I think if, I think since I was little until even until. I don't know, recently, maybe recent two or three years, or maybe just recent one year. I, I, I don't think they, they accept me being a, a musician. And, and so um, I think my father, um, he, he kind of, I, I, one, one time I, I finally realized he was okay by, you, you know what? So one time I called him and then, I, um, so during the conversation, he tried to tell me, you should go out and find a job. And, you know, being a musician is not good. You don't get money, blah, 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 yes. blah. We talk about it. And then, so we finished the conversation. How, how old were you at this time during the conversation? It's about two years ago. Oh, okay. And you were <laughs> way into an adulthood. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and so he talked about it. And I said, okay, 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 dad, I will go. Okay. And then, so we finished the conversation. We hand up the phone. He thought I hand up the phone and he didn't hand up the phone. Oh. And so I heard he told to his friend, he said, oh, my daughter, he, she is in the United States, you know, and she, she just, you know, perform everywhere. And uh, uh, she's so good. And she, she had a, uh, she had the Nahoku, he, he couldn't pronounce right, that. Right, right, he just right. said something really funny. And she, <laughs> and yeah. And then so I was listen, listening to it. And then I, I finally think, oh, so you, you actually accept me to be a musician. Did you ask him that directly or you didn't have to? You no, just, I didn't. I didn't. that he was proud of you by the way he shared yeah. your work. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's and then, yeah, yeah, and then, uh, for my mom, she always complained about me. So, uh, until until so, this is also this um the last uh, since since last year. So, uh, for the for the for the concert, so the February concert. Actually, this is my CD release, uh, party kind of. Oh, great! Okay, the <laughs> yeah. launch of your CD. Okay, right. so I start making this CD. Uh, start early next uh, early last year uh -huh. and the reason I made the CD is because the pandemic I couldn't go back ah, to Taiwan of course and then my father he always complained he said why are you not coming back to that I miss you and so I said I can't you know the quarantine so I said how about I I I, I record some music for you and yeah and so I asked him what songs you want me to play and so he gave me a list of the songs and those songs are the the songs in my oh okay are they yeah. Chinese songs or western inspired songs 
West songs, Western songs, Western songs more. So I have like Can Help Falling in Love, Moon River, You Rest Me Up. Those very okay. old songs. Right. And the reason why they are old because this is my father's generation's song. <laughs> right. Okay. Wait. So hold on. So this is yeah. interesting. So so first of all, the the songs that are inspired by your father reveals a little bit of the historical kind of gener generation that your father grew up listening to, but it yeah. also reveals like the westernization of music that went over to Taiwan that oh, influenced yeah. the listening of that generation. Yes. Yeah, so my father, I think when he was in college, that was around, I want to say 1960s and 70s. Uh -huh. So back to that time, U.S. had the military in Taiwan because the uh, U.S. want to help Taiwan to fight the communists. Right. So U.S. had a really strong support in Taiwan. And so, uh, so not only the U.S. military in Taiwan back to that time, but also the culture, everything was in Taiwan. Yes. Yeah, so so that's why he listened to a lot of Western songs when he was young, and and so he asked me to record those songs, and I said I said okay, and so after I recorded those songs, I started to make a lot of videos, and those videos are now on my YouTube channel as well. I didn't know I I I can edit a video <laughs> until until that time, you know, the pandemic hit. And then, so I started doing the video editing. And you, you enjoyed it. It was quite fun and, for you. A yeah, new skill. I, I enjoy it. And I know many people ask me, do I do it professionally? Wow. I mean, you guys should check out my YouTube channel. What's it called? Uh, have, what is your YouTube channel called? Sanghui Erhu. How do you spell it? S-U-N-H-U-I. That's my name. Yeah. And then E-R-H-U. Right. Okay. So yeah. no, wait, this is, again, I just wanted to add that, um, you know, we dismissed the pandemic um, for overwhelming our lives. And of course it has, but we also need to address the silver lining of it, where because of your confinement, you were able to create music. You were able to learn how to edit. You were able to be inspired to connect some of your new work with your father's history in a way that's influenced his life. And there's so many beautiful things that have come from it, just talking to you. Yeah, yeah. So, so um, of course, I still complain this pandemic. Of course. <laughs> but, yeah. But, but I didn't expect that I learned so much. And then, so another thing I want to mention back to earlier topic. So I sent those videos to my mom as well. Yeah. And now I got a lot of complaints from my aunties uh, because my mom send those videos to everybody and then force all the aunties to listen to them. Of course, <laughs> so, as a Taiwanese mom would, yeah. Yeah, and so that's another thing that I finally know that my mom is also okay with me doing music. Wait, but I how did her friends receive it? Like, what were their responses to your music? It was very good, very good, all positive. But, but what... What my aunties try try to tell me is, no, your mom really like your music because ah. for a long time I I thought and you know that uh, that's always my mom told everybody say something like I'm doing the music I have no future I'm not making a lot of money which is true, <laughs> but but uh so. So my mom said a lot of negative things about my music career, 
But then when she sent out the music to her friends, all the aunties, she always said, oh my gosh, my daughter sounds so good. You guys have to watch this. This is so good. She's yeah. proud of She's yes. And I think that's a very Chinese way to do things. You know, we're so humble. And, um, and I think there's a lot of pressure where um, parents like to compare with each other because a lot of parents say, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's daughter went to this school and so-and-so's son went and, and yes. did this and gave me, bought me this and took me on vacation there. Yes. There's this like pressure of all this competition between whose child is more successful. Um, right. But it makes me question how we define success because in the older generation, it was always be a doctor, lawyer, you know, just mm -hmm. be that core profession and that is success. And people yes. didn't understand the ability to be successful through other ways. And you're basically showing them that you can be successful by following your own dreams and they will accept that and, and really channel that. And, and yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, so because of this pandemic, I realized many things, you know, and so I, I'm really, I feel blessed um, at least, at least I'm healthy now and I can still play music and because I start making the videos so I can reach out more audience yes. um, uh, different corners of the world right. that's even better you know yes. before I was just playing locally I have I have a lot of local uh, fans of course but then I wasn't I didn't expect right now I have uh, fans from Switzerland uh he just asked me to you know she just he just buy one of my um albums and asked me to send it out so i had to go to post office and try to figure out how do i send this to the switzerland <laughs> <laughs> but see yeah. that's the thing the language of music also reaches people um you know and also the virtual the virtual the digital space also allows us to connect worldwide and there's no limit Right. Yeah. When when is when I believe when it is a good music, then you can do anything with it. And right. So what is good music? Let's hold on to that thought. Let's take one more quick break. When we come back, let's kind of you know go deeper into what good music is. Um, are are there different definitions of good music in terms of Western standpoint or, or you know culturally? How does that influence the way we see what good music is? And how do we, again, going back to your life story is pursuing your dreams when you have things that are shaping you and encouraging you to do something that you felt you were not meant to do. And here you are with a new CD uh, and a concert coming up at Blue Note. So I am talking to Sun Hui about her music in Arhu. Don't go away, you continue. I'm back here with Sun Hui who is a PhD in ethnomusicology, having a wonderful concert coming up on February 1st, Chinese New Year's at the Blue Note. And I will continue to provide information about it. But uh, so wait, let's continue talking about your work. It is so interesting to hear, you know, how much you've impacted and transformed your parents in a way through your music uh, and also for yourself. And, you know, coming from Taiwan and then living here in Hawaii now, uh, let's talk a little bit more, more about the, the Western influences and the, the relationship between Chinese and Western, um, you know, we're talking about how to appreciate music and what good music is. And that is such a general kind of a topic and I don't wanna reduce it to that, um, but maybe for you, growing up female from a very traditional Chinese family and being Western educated. How do you define good music, if that's even a thing, through the Arhu? 
<laughs> yeah, so I, I truly believe any any music that um, play sincerely and from the heart that is good music. So I I don't I don't I don't usually talk too much about uh, Erhu is a Chinese culture and piano is a Western culture and violin is a Western culture because it's at one point, it, it will become very difficult to define. So say, for example, like Erhu, it was not in China. Uh, it, it didn't start in China. Right. And then it went to China. It became Chinese culture. That's what we call Chinese culture because it was in China. And then so so the, the instruments actually travels. And so for me, to me, when I play this instrument, I feel different when I was in Taiwan. When I was in Taiwan, I look at these instruments. It's a Chinese culture. It's a Chinese instrument. But when I come to uh, United States, and especially right now, I'm playing with all different instruments from all over the world. And I I feel the, the, the identity is not that important anymore. But the music itself is more important than if I just say, oh, this is Chinese or not. Um, if you ask me, what am I playing? I, I, I would say, I don't know. I'm playing Can't Help Falling in Love and everybody loves it. It's, it's such a beautiful song. It's, the song is not Chinese. Um, yeah. I'm, not, I'm playing with piano and I'm playing with steel guitar. They are not Chinese. Um, but and this instrument, I'm not so sure if you can really call this as an authentic Chinese instrument. Hmm. So, so um, I want to say um, to me, the, the, mu- the good music is really something uh, from the heart, not from the culture. Okay, but uh, having said that, yes, I, I agree. But because the Arhu has such a distinct sound that it, because of the um, the claiming of it of Chinese culture, if you will, because because you've yeah. just taught yeah. me that it's not originally from there, but we associate it with such a strong Chinese mm-hmm. element that how does that not become a voice in itself? That use of that specific instrument, even though you're playing Western songs, does that alter the way the song is received? Uh, and should it or should it not? You know. Mm, I would say uh, yes. Uh, when I play, a lot of people with my 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 producer, so uh, Pierre Grill, he always say, "You are playing Western songs, but somehow you still sound like a Chinese." Why? Hmm. And I told him it is not because I'm playing a Chinese musical instrument, but it is the way I play the instrument. So um, if we talk a little bit about music theory, so, you know, some of the, the gliding, the sliding of the, the notes, that's so distinct of Erhu uh, characters. Mm. Those kind of technique is only on the Erhu, and that's why it sounds like Chinese. But if you want me to play like Western uh, songs I can uh, so if I don't do all this Erhu uh, special technique then it sounds like a violin hmm. but that's the last thing I want to do because right. <laughs> yeah right. so I still want to um, you know bring the characters 
to 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 the to the world. It's just like I grew up in Taiwan, so I didn't speak English, and I learned my English in USA. I never tried to get rid of my accents. I know I have that, and that's part of me. And it's just like when I play Erhu, um, I'm playing the Western songs, but I would never try to get off my Erhu accents. <laughs> right. Well, but that's interesting. So let's apply this term accents into it, because when we talk about language, when we talk about um, sometimes even cultural appropriation, when we talk about like, you know, there's a lot of critique on hip hop, for example, like, you know, the 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 Asian hip hop scene is, is grown so much, but there, you know, people complain like, um, where, the, what's the source of hip hop is black music. Do you have the right to play it? So there are certain cultures that are associated or deep racial, um, um, historical kind of roots that are attached to certain types of music. So when it comes to the Arhu and again, associating it back with Chinese is to flip it the other way, do, is there a way that sometimes Western perception of music will look at the arhu and exoticize it like okay well this is an interesting oriental and i hate that word but mm -hmm. an asian instrument that we think it, it becomes exotic because you know you're packaging this you know like your blue your blue note performance coming up you know it's a beautiful um comp compilation of of an accordionist you know steel guitar so it's very you know western and does that arhu become the exotic element that makes it a little bit more cultured with and without quotes i'm just saying if you know what i'm going with this like why do we, yeah. do we have that as a voice right i i think uh when when more when more people try to really open up um, your listening uh, scope and you receive more and more instruments in your brain then you probably will stop thinking erhu uh, is an oriental instrument or asian instruments just like who would now who would say piano is a italian instrument mm -hmm. Right, right. It's normalized so, as an instrument, right? Right, right. So um, I want to say Erhu's history, um, well, so before 1900, nobody really knows what it is. But now, because uh, we are more globalized, and when we talk about the globalization, then we don't really need to talk about uh, Erhu is oriental anymore. Just like we, we all know piano is piano. Right. Piano, not just Italian. Right. Yeah. So I, I think um, right now it, the the journey of the Erhu is still new, and so a lot of people don't know what it is. I I play uh, I strip strip perform uh, at Waikiki now. Oh, <laughs> really? Where? Night. That's wonderful. Yeah. I love street performance. Where do you perform? <laughs> I I I do. Uh, I go. Just right in front of, across the street from Blue Note, actually, in oh. front of Tesla. I do usually Saturday and Sunday afternoon around 4 to 6 o'clock. I that, love it. I love it. Yeah, that's so where I go. listening, if you're in yeah. Hawaii on the weekends, check out some Hawaii street performing in Waikiki. <laughs> yes, I love it. Okay. Yeah. And, and so a lot of people come and then ask me, what is this? How many strings? And so I, I can tell a lot of people have no idea anything about this instrument. Of course. And, and which is okay. I mean, we don't know, we don't need to know everything in the world, but I'm just glad I am able to share something uh, to people yes. who doesn't 
is. And I think that's that's just great. And a lot of people were surprised. Oh my gosh, you can play. Uh, what did I play? My heart will go on. The the uh Titanic song. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah, that, that was it. Oh, you play this song so good on Earth. I said, yeah. <laughs> so, do you intentionally play more Western music because of your own preference? Like, what? How? What is your take on um some classic Chinese songs that the Earth just really brings to life? I really like classical Chinese Erhu music. Uh, I I I'm really good at that because a lot of my Erhu teachers were came to Taiwan during the Cultural Revolution, so they taught me the best accents of the Chinese music, and I'm so glad of that. What is one? In, can you name one, a couple of like famous songs that are? Erquan Yin Yue, uh, the uh. 对,二泉音乐是, uh, it is my favorite,汉宫秋月. Can you hum it at all? Or you can maybe send me links of the songs that we can play. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on my, on my YouTube too. Okay, okay. <laughs> that song is just so pretty. I love it. It's hard for Westerners. I say Westerners. I just say don't use culture, but okay. <laughs> uh, it, it's hard for a lot uh, non-Chinese people to uh, to take this kind of music because it's it's too slow, and that's not the how do I say? So before Cultural Revolution, the 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 most the best Erhu music is usually slow. And so you can enjoy the beauty between notes. That's what my teacher always said. The best thing is always in between notes. <laughs> well, but that's then, a very good metaphor for many things. The best things are the silent spaces in between things that yeah. you recognize. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's in between notes. But then... After the Cultural Revolution, so um, Chinese culture want to everything like Western music. And they want to make sure Erhu can play faster than violin. Erhu can play higher pitch than violin. Erhu can play any songs that violin can play. You know, that, that kind of mentality is there. Mm. So after the Cultural Revolution, um, a lot of Erhu players only want to play the faster songs. Mm. In the concert, I'm going to play one very fast songs. I can tell you, you know, all my band members, those guys, they complain that I play too fast. Mm-hmm. But, so I can play fast songs, but that's not, that's not, what we call traditional music and that's what that's not what uh, we can really appreciate the beauty of the erhu because that's not how the erhu um show off mm. so so um yeah so, so it, how does an how does an erhu perform like if it you know if it had its own voice and it had to First of all, do you, you know, we talked about this in the beginning is the gendered element, like how the impression is that Arhu is mostly played by um, old Chinese men and you already broke that, you know, image. Um, do you think that the instrument is gendered and how, how does he or she speak? And yeah. 
Yeah, so the reason this instrument is usually associated with um, male is because, yeah, so this is a, a barbarian instrument. Right. And it's a folk instrument. So in the old time, you don't see a woman. Right you know, play in front of the temple and do nothing. The woman should work. You know, exactly. Work in the field. Watching the kids and yeah. Yeah, yeah watching the kids and work in the field. Yeah. And, and so the instrument is very, very, um, yeah, male instrument. So that reveals a lot about the patriarchal structure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and so for, for a long time, that was the image. Until, I want to say around 1990s. So in China, there's a group called 12 girl band i don't know if you heard about that 12 12 girl bands and so basically there are 12 girls um they all play erhu and they play really good Mm -hmm. don't get me wrong they're not only pretty but they also play really good but that's packaging you mentioned pretty because packaging means a lot for marketing purposes right yeah and so so start from them uh, more and more girls uh start playing this instrument And the whole society, because it was so popular. So the whole society starts accepting uh, it's okay to have female to play this instrument. Right. But did yeah. they, you know, also because, well, the 90s was pre-social media, but it still got around, right? People had yeah. access to things. But did they sexualize the instrument at all? You know how sometimes certain instruments are kind of seen as being sexualized? I don't think so. I, I don't think so. I think they were really just more about, especially it is, uh, we are talking about China. Even China nowadays, you don't supposed to, you know, being too sexual on any. Right, any, true, right, right. Anything. Okay. Yeah, so I, I don't think so. Uh, I'm just thinking but, like, but, you know, in Vanessa, what's the name of the girl who? Yeah, 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 the violin. Yeah. She was, she was one of them. Uh, she was the one influenced this, this group. Oh yeah, okay. she was the one influenced this group, and yeah. So, but but she was really sexy, right? She she wear. You That's know, what I mean. Her, the, her, her dress. What's her full name? So people know who we're talking about. Vanessa May is it? May May yes yes yeah. Uh, and she's um, is she Vietnamese or is she? I think so. Or Singapore, Southeast Asia. But she anyway, so she marketed herself to be very attractive. She wore not not necessarily, you know, you know, it's not skimpy, but it was kind of like um, it 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 was seductive in the way that she was very feminine in her approach. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. she, you know, kind of gave herself a sense of empowerment by being very female. Yeah, yeah, she she was that. So I think the twelve girl band got the idea from her. That's yeah. I want to say for sure, but I'm not sure. And but then the twelve girl band was not so much doing what she did. Okay. But uh, right after the uh, the twelve girl band, so Taiwan started doing a lot, just like Vanessa. Taiwan can do it. Yeah, Taiwan. Yes, tried. they have a little more yeah. liberation with their <laughs> right. bodies. So Taiwan and... could do it. And yeah, so a lot of people in Taiwan started wearing, you know, the short chi pao. Uh, and then yeah. <laughs> a lot of people do that. 
Uh, I, I, how do you I'm feel about that? Can we talk more. a little bit about Taiwan culture and the, the position of women in Taiwan culture? Because it is, you know, for West, for people who don't distinguish, you know, there's a lot of blurry areas yeah. between Chinese, Hong Kong and Taiwan culture that people don't understand when you don't really have the nuanced kind of knowledge of the cultures. So when you say that Taiwanese girls can come around in scantily clad um, outfits and proudly and openly and acceptedly do what they want to do, um, what does that say about um, Taiwan culture and how that distinguished from Chinese? Yeah, so like you said, Taiwan is more liberal. So Taiwan, yeah, I remember it was back, that, that was when I was in college. So a lot of people actually ask me to wear that kind of dress. Oh, no, they want it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, at that time, I didn't have confidence, but you know, now I think I, I should have, and I will probably <laughs> become more popular. Now I'm too old, I can't do it. <laughs> but but yes, so Taiwan in in that regard, Taiwan was able to the 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 ladies in Taiwan uh, can wear the sexy dress yeah. and perform. Um, and I want to say nowadays, more and more Taiwanese girls can uh, do what they want. Mm -hmm. Learn the erhu if they want. Learn any instruments if they want. Uh, many of you probably know Taiwan has a female president. Mm -hmm. So that really give a lot female girls uh, the confidence that Taiwan, uh, the, the female uh, woman can do everything they want. Yeah. And that's really, really uh, it's really nice thing, you know, to being a Taiwanese. Yeah, I also want to add that, you know, in terms of the gender issue too, I believe Taiwan was one of the first Asian countries that um, accepted and legalized um, gay marriage. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, but I, I, yeah, so I'm really proud of my country. And it's, it's, uh, it gives, give me a lot of opportunities um, to to do what I want. I, I'm so glad I'm there. And so so grew up I I had a lot, well not a lot, a few teachers they were uh, gay or lesbians. And we were just fine. You know, we all know that that's fine with us and no problem at all. It's why I mean I can love a boy, so why can you? Why can a girl love a girl? Right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you didn't have those kind of parenting restrictions or uh, influences of that. Like, did you have pressure? I know I'm going backwards, but like you know, growing up in in the Taiwanese culture, did they pressure you? Like, okay, so when are you going to get married? When are you going to have kids? You know, all these things that are supposed to be under the conventional ways of growing up as a female. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, but but I think they gave up after <laughs> a while. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's not not too much about that what you say, but uh my mom was you know that Taiwan has the tension with China, especially yeah. uh you know, my my parents they were more the, the Taiwan Taiwan Taiwanese so my parents would would tell me not to get married with people from mainland China right wow yeah they would say wow. that 
right now I really don't feel anything wrong with the the people from China. I play Chinese instruments. I love the Chinese culture. I don't think anything wrong with them. And I think most young people, that's the way they think about it as well. Um, do you yeah. have any, I mean, I'm not trying to be political, but do you have any thoughts on how things are going now? You know, the threat of Chinese taking over Taiwan culture and all that, I mean, the, the place uh, controlling the the people. Uh, do you have any? Because I know from Hong Kong side, I've seen the whole dramatic transformation, you know, I not know. being there when this is happening. So, yeah. So, as a Taiwanese, when I saw how Hong Kong went through the last two years, uh, yeah, I, I think that's a scary for Taiwan. But I want to say something really funny is um, China has been sending a lot of warplanes to Taiwan yes. and fly around. And, yeah, but you know, if you ask any Taiwanese, especially the Taiwanese living in Taiwan, they don't care at all. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, if the, most people really don't care about those Chinese warplanes, but Taiwanese <laughs> get really scared when uh, Taiwan just had the 12 Omicron case. Oh, right. <laughs> they got so scared. I'm like, what's wrong with you guys? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, we all have different fears for different reasons, but that's, yes, you know, it sounds funny, uh, but the reality is what what things in our life are we most uh, affected by, right? Right, right. Yeah, That's and, and so I, I think if you you ask um, the especially the younger generations, they or maybe just even myself. So I don't, I don't, I would never say I don't like China. I think I really, I sincerely think China. Uh, they have really good culture and people are very nice. I have a lot of colleagues and neighbors. They are Chinese. So I, I think they are really good people. But because I grew up in, in Taiwan and I, I just never deal anything with China. So I don't feel I'm part of China. Mm. That, that's how I feel. So China to me is just like Japan to me, just like another country to me. Um, I, I'm not against to them, but I don't feel I am connected uh, Chinese citizen. Ah, yeah. okay. And if you ask me, so, but I, my ancestors are from, from mainland China. So yeah, I agree. It's just like a lot of American, their ancestor is from Germany, from UK. But have you ever heard uh, those Americans, second or third generation Americans say, oh, I'm from Germany. No, they would say, I'm America. Uh, mm. I'm um, American. And right. so same as me, I, I feel I'm a Taiwanese. Uh, I am, I'm, uh, I know my ancestor is from there, but, uh, and I like the culture, but I would not say I'm a Chinese citizen. So how do you, okay, I'm going to wrap this up soon, but how do you um, define Chineseness, then. What is that word again? Chineseness. I know Chineseness. <laughs> like because you know, in academics, a lot of people like to use um, Chinese culture into ways to you know study cross cultural, uh, yeah, politics and studies, whatever. But yeah. so, does Chineseness come down to 
how you feel like where you're rooted, like in terms of locations, like for you specifically, you're saying that you're connected to Taiwan. So is your Chinese-ness Taiwanese-ness then? Or to say Chinese-ness is that a problematic term to begin with because we need to distinguish the different areas. Like I feel I'm Chinese, even though I'm so Americanized, I perceive when I was living in Hong Kong, people always tease me for being Asian American, like mm -hmm. like they, they, they see me as a hollow, like a bamboo, mm -hmm. right? Like that's mm -hmm. hollow type who doesn't know the Chinese culture, but is Chinese looking on the outside. Mm -hmm. But people dismiss the ideas of the influence of, of what you are brought up with. Mm -hmm. I, it was not my choice to live in the States or in Hong Kong, and it, it, it's shaped me. So I'm just questioning this idea of Chinese-ness and how we define that and how that even seeps through your music, like even your, your choice of music and how you play out the arhu. Yeah, so I, I never disagree that I... I, I am not Chinese. Oh my God, that's double negative. So I think it's okay. I, I say I am Chinese. Uh, in terms of the culture, yes, I am Chinese. That's no problem. I practice Chinese culture. I am celebrating Chinese New Year at Blue Note, by yeah. the way. <laughs> February 1st, the first day of Chinese New Year is go to yeah. Blue Note and watch the Yes. Yeah. yeah, so... so I am Chinese, that's no problem. Uh, so I'm only talking about politically. I don't think I am Chinese citizen. Right. But but in terms of the culture, I love Chinese culture. I like the country. I like the culture. I like the music. I play the music. And I'm so willing to share this Chinese culture to everywhere in the world. Yeah. That's what I really passionate That's great. about. But okay, so in terms of your music then, Taiwanese music, is there a Taiwanese ver um, type of music for Erhu that you also bring to the table? Uh, no, when we talk about Taiwanese music, it's almost like American music or Hawaiian music. You talk about the native Hawaiian music. Yes. Uh, that kind. So no, I'm not playing any native Taiwanese music. <laughs> no. Okay. Okay. Um, or or at least not for this concert. Right. Okay. But that's an interesting kind of thought of what it means to be Taiwanese music and what the native Taiwanese music is and the indigenous historical influences into um, mm -hmm. what is Taiwan music. So that's a whole other category. Uh, yeah. Topic. We can go on to another time which is interesting. I'll hold that thought with you. Senhui, we'll do another interview on that. But as we wrap up, let's celebrate a little bit of Chinese New Year's now. So what are some things that you do in your practice that to celebrate Chinese New Year's? Do you do the things like, well, for me, you know, I tell my kids they're not allowed to wash their hair on New Year's Day. They have to do it the night before because <laughs> you don't want to wash away all the bad luck. Um, you have to eat your first meal. It's supposed to be vegetarian. The night before you eat like a lot of meats or what are some favorite Chinese New Year's dishes for you? Tell me your celebration of Chinese New Year's. Of course, definitely. Uh, but for me, it's more about the food. So I will make sure everything I supposed to eat on that day. So uh, the chicken, the fish, those things uh, I will eat, and the noodles. What about Nian gao for sure, yeah. So, so I love the way Hawaiians uh, here, we call it gao, and you can buy it at Long's, you can buy it anywhere. It's so accessible, but we don't think about the historical connection to the Chinese culture of Nian gao, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, a lot of things. It's more about food to me. Um, and then wear something red, 
Yes, yeah. wear something red. Yeah, something red. Oh, yeah. Even an underwear, by the way. Uh, you have red cool. underwear? I don't think I have any red <laughs> underwear. <laughs> I, I, I brought... I brought I bought that only because for the Chinese New Year. Okay. You're supposed to have the, the, the red underwear and the bra as well. Oh, <laughs> gosh. I don't wear red bras. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but so why? The significance of red. Can you share a little bit about that? I think it's, they say it's about good luck. In my family, we don't really care anything, the traditions. But I think, especially if... If you are business people, yeah, I, I think they say it will, um, will be bring a lot of money for the, the coming year. I think yeah. that's what I say. It's, it's all about prosperity, health, good wishes, Everything. good fortune. You know, it's all blessings of the new good comings. Mm -hmm. And I think during this COVID area era, we do need a lot of um, encouragement, reinforcement of the great things in our lives and how we can Definitely. be more. Um, and when I say prosperous, not just in monetary terms, but, you know, yeah. a richness in life that we can get, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so a lot of people ask me, why do I give the concert on the Chinese New Year? Yeah, good point. I, well, yeah, so, you know, the COVID, I cannot go back to Taiwan. Otherwise, usually this is the day all the families should get together. So uh, when I book the, the date I was thinking since I cannot be with my family I want to be with my fans and I want to bring my fans kind of to my family you know to my yeah. music because I do treat my music um, from from my heart or by my heart so uh, I want to celebrate with a lot of people I don't want to be lonely without a family yeah, without you want to be with people Chinese New Year's yeah. yes yes so, so bring your family, come to my concert, and uh, we are going to play a lot uh, Chinese songs as well, the Great. very popular Chinese songs, and then a lot of uh, American songs that everybody loves. So it's going to be lovely. I, I, I really want to celebrate this Chinese New Year. Otherwise, I feel so, so sad, you know. Yeah. I yeah. cannot go back to Taiwan for more than two years now. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, we'll celebrate with you. KTUH is very, very supportive of, of, of an artist like you. And I wish you the best of the concert and best of luck. Um, if people need more information, how can they find it? They can go to Blue Note website. Okay. And the Blue Note website, if you click the calendar, you can click the February 1st. There will what be time? home. Uh, the time will be 6.30 or 8.30, two shows. Great. It will be two shows. And if you're scared of uh, the Omicron, the COVID, yeah. yes. you can go to the go to the second show. The second show is very slow. <laughs> Less oh, people. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the, the, the first show has more people. But then the second show is, is usually the Blue Note always slow on the second show. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I don't think it'll be slow for your show. I'm sure a lot of people will come because it's Chinese New Year's and we're supposed to celebrate and make a lot yes. of noise. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. So 
Yeah. So, yeah. But anyway, it's going to be fun. And the, I think the Blue Note they still have a little bit restrictions. So uh, they put the table a little bit far away from each other. Okay. So okay. That's, that's good because I'm worried about myself too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you better stay safe and healthy. Make sure your band members are all healthy. We really look forward to this. Thank you so much for sharing all this rich um, history of the Arhu, of your culture, of how you work with the music and what's influenced you. It's really a beautiful story. So thank you so much. This is Sun Hui, and we all look forward to your beautiful concert on Chinese New Year's, February 1st. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. 新年快乐. 新年快乐.